take your Bible and turn with me to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, and we want to read together this morning verses 14 and 15. If you've been with us over the past several weeks, you know that Mark 1, 14 to 15, that's our theme verse as we go through the Gospel of Mark. Uh, we're reading it together every week as we come together for the time of preaching, and then we stand together and we open God's Word, we read the passage for the week. So since we are doing both, it's, it's the passage and our theme this week, uh, we're going to stand together. In fact, go ahead and do that for me. Let's stand together and we're going to read loudly, slowly, and clearly Mark 1, 14 to 15. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Father, you call us today to recognize that in your son Jesus Christ, your rule and reign has been ushered into the world. And you call us to respond by turning away from our sin and putting our trust in Jesus. So Lord, for those of us who have done that, may today be a day of assurance. May it be a day of confirmation. May it be a day of celebration because you are ours and we are yours. And if on this day there is one someone here who's never turned away from their sin and put their trust in Jesus, may they do it this day, knowing, God, you were planning on them. We pray it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. So we're going through the Gospel of Mark. Mark is the shortest of the Gospels. Mark is uh, the one who tells us stories quickly. Mark wants us to get to the point. In fact, he uses the word immediately 40 times in his gospel because he's trying to move us along to the point which is ultimately the glory of God put on display in the cross of Jesus Christ. But as Mark is moving us to the cross, he's laying the foundation. He's showing us how we get there. And the way that we get there is through the ministry of Jesus who came as the perfect son of God into a world of imperfect people. And Jesus was acquainted with all of our grief and all of our sin and yet he remained sinless. And to an imperfect world and a world full of sin, Jesus was the perfect sinless one who in his own life embodied God's rule and God's reign in the world. And as Jesus focused his public ministry, he was, he was intent on one thing, and that was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of God. And so that's why this morning we want to focus our attention on this gospel of the kingdom. The first thing we notice in Mark 1 and verse 14 is the preparation of the gospel of the kingdom. The preparation of the gospel of the kingdom. Mark tells us in chapter 1 and verse 14, now after John was arrested... Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. So Mark highlights for us, as he, as he takes us back to this point in redemption's history, he highlights for us the fact that Jesus had a forerunner. Jesus had someone to prepare the way for him. And that's John the Baptist. We spent the last couple of weeks walking through the first 13 verses of Mark chapter 1. And so you remember that that preparation began in a prophetic word. 
that Mark tells us that John was only fulfilling, only living out what was long ago prophesied by Malachi and Isaiah, that there would be a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his path. That word that was long ago prophesied becomes a word that is fulfilled in the public ministry of John the Baptist. John the Baptist comes along in verses 4, 5, and 6 of chapter 1 that we see he comes along and he is this sort of wild man, right? He wears camel's hair and, and he is, uh, he's eating locusts and wild honey and he's out in the desert proclaiming... Now, I sort of think of him like an old-time evangelist. I mean, he's sort of shouting, prepare the way of the Lord. Uh, one of our graduate families told me this morning, they said, you know, when our, when our family goes off, when our kids go off to school, uh, they're going to have to get adjusted. They're probably not going to have a, a fiery preacher like they've had at Elkdale. Corey was fiery and said, you're fiery, and they're, they're going to have to get accustomed to it. That's not always the case. You get these firebrands of a preacher. John the Baptist was a firebrand. He's out in the wilderness. He's declaring to anyone who will listen, prepare the way of the Lord. And the way that the way of the Lord was prepared was through a turning away from sin, a repentance, a public acknowledgement of sin and a preparation to receive the one who would come and baptize as with fire. So John's preparing the people. He's fulfilling that prophetic word and then he pays the price of faith in this gospel of God you notice there that Mark says now after John was arrested Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming there's a shift there isn't there there's a turning point in verse 14 We've entered into a new era of redemption's history. All in those two phrases. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming. That turning point, it, it is exactly what John the Baptist anticipated in John 3 and verse 30 when he said, He must increase and I must decrease. John recognized that he's only the forerunner, he's only the herald, he's only the preparer, and so he must get out of the way in order for Jesus to take center stage. And so what happens in John's life in order for him to decrease and for Jesus to increase is that John is arrested. Now the ESV translates that now after John was arrested, but more properly in the Greek it's now when he was delivered up. And the reason that that matters is because we recognize that even in John's arrest, God is sovereign. And God is putting John to this appointment. He's delivering John up to, to arrest, to imprisonment, ultimately to death. Because this is John's place in the redemptive history of the world. He must decrease and Jesus must increase. You think about what John is arrested for. Why is John delivered up to be imprisoned? Well, it's because John is committed to the gospel. John is out in the wilderness there. This is not a public platform. It's not the place that everybody would have gone for preaching. He doesn't go to the temple. He's not in a synagogue. Uh, he's not in a street corner. He doesn't go to the city gate. He's in the wilderness and he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He's saying repent and believe in the gospel. And the reason that John is preaching this is because he believes it. He's taken this word into his heart. The message that he calls all the people of Judea and Jerusalem to is a message that he is living out in his own life. 
John really believes in this one who is coming. John really believes that he will change the world. John really believes he will bring God's kingdom to bear. He believes it enough that he's willing to preach it to anybody and everybody, including the king. You remember, if you read the other gospels, you know that King Herod, he's, he is a man who's living an immoral lifestyle. He's taken his brother's wife as his own, and there's an immoral relationship there. And so John's willing to stand up to the king and say, you're the one to represent us. You're the one to show us righteousness. You're the one who's supposed to live a holy life for your people, and yet you're living an immoral life. The gospel demands that you, king, turn from your sin. And it's that boldness, it's that confidence, it's that faith in the God of the gospel that causes John to pay the price first with a season of imprisonment and then with his life and it's John's decrease and Jesus's increase that prepares the way of the gospel to come so in verse 14, you see the preparation of the gospel of the kingdom. And then in the end of verse 14 and into verse 15, you see the proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom. So Mark tells us this. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Mark takes us back to that scene where Jesus is preaching. Now think about this for a moment. Mark is not making this up. Mark is telling us what he has heard at Peter's feet. Remember that he is a disciple of Peter and Peter's a disciple of Jesus. And Mark is there sitting at Peter's feet hearing Peter tell about what Jesus preached and how Jesus ministered and what Jesus' message was. And, and so this would be like somebody reaching back into the files and saying, hey, uh, back then when Corey Horton came to be the pastor of Elkdale, he was preaching this and here it is. This is what he used to preach about. It would be like somebody saying when, when Nicholas Gandy was a pastor at London Baptist Church all those years ago, here's what he used to preach about. And Mark is reaching back into the files that he's heard from Peter, who's an apostle of Jesus, and he's saying, hey, here's what Jesus used to preach about everywhere that he went, all the time what he said, repent and believe in the gospel. At the heart of Jesus' ministry, is the proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom of God. It's that gospel that causes him to be fervent in his public ministry. At various times, we're going to see as we journey through Mark's gospel, his disciples, they'll say, Jesus, the crowds are gathered for you. Jesus, the crowds want to see you do a miracle. Jesus, the crowd sure would like a sign today. Jesus, You've got a public platform. Why don't you use it, Jesus? We could cash in on this thing. We could make something of ourselves. We could, we could cause you to be famous, Jesus, if you just go where the people are. And over and again, we will see Jesus steer his disciples back to the mission. At the end of chapter 1, in just a few weeks, we're going to see there's a scene where Jesus has gone off to pray by himself early in the morning hours. And his disciples, like hound dogs, they go looking for him. Where is he? They're searching for him. And they find him out praying by himself they say listen all these people are coming for you i mean come on you gotta you gotta make something of this moment and jesus says no come on with me and instead of running to where the crowds are jesus goes to the synagogue and what does he do he opens the scroll and he preaches the gospel of the kingdom 
Because at the heart of Jesus' ministry is announcing that there is a fundamental change in the world because he is here. So what I want you to see this morning are three realities of the gospel of the kingdom of God. The first reality is this. Jesus tells us that the gospel of the kingdom of God, it displays, it displays God's plan. The gospel of the kingdom of God, it displays God's plan. Look at what Mark tells us about Jesus' preaching. He says that Jesus came proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, verse 15, the time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So that first phrase that Mark tells us Jesus was preaching is this. The time is fulfilled. See, the gospel, it displays God's plan. One of the things that Jesus is telling us as he proclaims that the time is fulfilled is he's telling us that this gospel, this gospel of the kingdom, this gospel of God's authority, this gospel of God's rule and reign coming to bear on the world, that this gospel is not an afterthought, it's not plan B, uh, it's not what they came up with as a last-ditch effort, it's not the Hail Mary pass. This gospel is the ultimate and only plan of God to save the world. The reason that matters, brothers and sisters, is this. When you begin to recognize that in the gospel of the kingdom of God, there is a fervent plan that God put in place before the foundations of the earth to save a people for his own possession, you will recognize that God was planning on you. God wants you in his family. God wants you to belong. God wants you to be a part of his kingdom. God wants to change your life. God wasn't looking past you. God wasn't simply trying to figure out a way to get you in. You were always on his heart. Today as we celebrate Graduate Sunday... We're recognizing that these students, they've, they've made a lot of investment in their lives. A lot of investment in their education. And that education that they have invested in, it has been unfolding over time. In kindergarten, they learned what their numbers were. In first grade and second grade, they learned how to add and subtract. Uh, in third grade, they learned how to multiply. In fourth grade, they learned how to divide. In, in fifth grade, maybe they began learning some basic geometry. In, in sixth and seventh grade, it's pre-algebra. In eighth grade, ninth grade, it's algebra. And then geometry and algebra two and pre-cal and trig and statistics. And you lost me after that. If you're there, I'm proud for you, but I'm, I'm gone after that one. But what we know is you, you can't do calculus unless you've got the fundamentals. You can't do Algebra 2 or Pre-Cal, unless you've got the fundamentals. And so the plan unfolds along the way. It is the same way with God's saving work. It has been unfolding over the long history of mankind. It began in the garden when God is working to bring Adam and Eve and the serpent to face to face with the consequence of their sin. And in Genesis 3, God plants one little word of hope as he speaks condemnation over the serpent, that great deceiver, the one who is a liar from the beginning. And God says to him that the seed of this woman will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. 
And for hundreds of years, the only hope of redemption that mankind had is that God promised that the serpent would be crushed. Genesis chapter 12, God calls to Abram and he says, I want you to leave your homeland, Ur of the Chaldees, and I want you to go to a land that I'll show you. And in a covenant that God makes with Abram, God says this, I'm going to make you a great people as numerous as the stars of the sky or the sands of the sea. I'm going to give you a great place to live. You're going to enjoy time in Canaan. You'll live in cities that you didn't build and you'll eat from vineyards that you didn't plant. And God says, I'm going to give you a great purpose that through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Those who, you, who bless you will be blessed, and those who curse you will be cursed. And God's people began to understand a little more of the redemptive plan. And we fast forward to the time of the Exodus when God's people have lived in bondage for 400 years, and God, as He promised in Genesis 15, He comes through right on time, and just as they're ending this long season of suffering under the hands of the Egyptians, God raises up a deliverer who will help bring them out of a land of bondage and into a land of promise, and God takes them away from Egypt, and He brings them into Canaan, and He causes them to sit in the middle of the nations of the earth so that they might Shine their light to all peoples. And they know a little bit more of the plan. And because God knows the heart of his people and he knows that they rebel and he knows that they will turn against him, God tells them long in advance of their settling in the land in Deuteronomy 30 verses 1 through through 10 that they're going to suffer the consequence of their rebellion and be scattered to the nations of the earth in exile. But when they turn to him, God says, I will reach my arms out and I will draw you if from heaven itself back to me and bring you back into the land. And we follow in redemption's history as God's people do rebel. And as the kingdom does split. And as they are carried off into exile. And right on time, God stretches his holy arms out and he gathers his people back to himself. And as his people go through 400 years of silence, wondering when will this redemptive plan come to its full in the back of a manger in Bethlehem, a child begins to cry. And all of a sudden, a long foretold plan becomes a plan fulfilled. See, Paul wrote to the Galatians in Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5, that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that they might receive adoption as sons. In the gospel, the plan of God is put on display. And he was planning on you. Jesus says that not only does the gospel display God's plan, But then Jesus says that the gospel declares, it declares God's power. Jesus says the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God. If you've ever thought about that, I bet that you you have had the struggle that many people have to say, what exactly is this kingdom of God all about? 
Because depending on the passage of Scripture you turn to, the kingdom of God may be seen as as a place. We think about a a, a physical place, a domain, a, a section of land, a particular country, a state where someone is sovereign and in control. In our world, our minds are probably first and foremost drawn to the kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, the the United Kingdom. And we think about that as a place of sovereignty, a kingdom. Maybe when we think of the kingdom of God, we think about a place. And sometimes when we think about the kingdom of God, we think about a people. A particular group of people who are ruled by a sovereign, by a king, a queen, by someone who is in control, has authority. But when we look at the nature of Jesus' preaching, when we hear him say, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added to you, when we, tell, when we hear Jesus tell us to pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our minds are not just drawn to a place and our minds aren't just drawn to a people, but our minds are drawn to power. Because you see, at the heart of what Jesus is saying as he declares the kingdom of God is he's declaring God's power, his authority, his right to rule. You see, at the core of that word kingdom, uh, basileus, at the core of that word is the idea of the actual right to reign, of the authority, of the rule of God. And so what Jesus is saying when he says the time is fulfilled, that's God has a plan. And the kingdom of God is at hand, that's God's power revealed. And then he'll talk about that we should repent and he's going to draw God's people. Right in the middle of this, Jesus is saying that the gospel, it declares God's power. God's right to rule. God's authority over all things. Listen, in the world we live in, we are often, we are often caused to wonder who in the world is in control. You you don't have to look very far. You you can turn to Fox or CNN or you can open up the the AL.com and look at the news. You don't have to look very far to recognize the world we live in seems to be at war within itself as the various powers of earth struggle against each other. We, we can look all the way across the sea and we can think about what's going on in the Ukraine and we can recognize that there are powers of evil at work. We can look in Washington, D.C. As we, as we await the Supreme Court decision in, in this case that could overturn Roe and we recognize that there are all sorts of forces at work. Listen, you don't have to look that far. You, you can go down to the gas pump this afternoon and recognize that there are all sorts of forces at work in the world. And at the heart of well-meaning Christian people, sometimes will come from our mouths that the world is spinning out of control and headed to hell. Can I tell you this morning on the authority of God's word that the world isn't headed to hell and the world isn't out of control. The world is in control and it is coming under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand. God's power, God's authority, God's rule and reign is coming to bear on the world in which we live. In a world that is covered and cloaked in darkness, the glorious light of the world is beginning to shine. In a world that is filled with dread and sorrow, the joy of new creation is coming. In a world that is bound up in the destruction that comes by sin, there is a redemptive force of life that is beginning to 
to take over. Where thorns and thistles have long grown, there is a new vine being planted. Jesus is declaring that the kingdom of God is at hand because in his coming to the world, God's power is affecting change. In your heart, See, the gospel, it displays God's plan. And the gospel of the kingdom, it declares God's power. And then lastly, the gospel of the kingdom, it draws, it draws God's people. You see, Jesus says, the time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. And then what does he say? Repent and believe in the gospel. There are times in all of our lives when we find ourselves in settings where someone is talking and we're trying to listen. And if we don't go into that setting with the mindset of, I'm going to need to know what this person is saying, then it's entirely possible that we simply skirt the issue we sort of halfway pay attention we we acknowledge the presence of the other person but we are just engaging in whatever else matters to us uh, we've talked about graduate sunday uh, this is graduate sunday for me I, I i'm i'm finished my master's degree it's a great thing i'm so glad it's over there's nobody gladder that it's over than me last week it wasn't over last tuesday i was frantically trying to finish a paper and and, and Mary had an appointment and checking on the baby, make sure everything's good, everything's good. We're glad and thankful for that. And so because I had this paper and because we had the appointment, we just had to, we had to deal. And so guess what? The laptop went into the appointment with me and I'm sitting there writing except for while the doctor's talking because I knew enough to know I better pay attention to that. That's more important than this. But in everything else, I was sort of distracted. Sometimes we're like that. Sometimes we're like that with God. We come to church. We know that we're supposed to be here. Come to church. Somebody expects us to be here. We come to church. We'll learn a little something. But if we don't come to church, if we don't respond to God's word, if we don't come prepared to have our hearts changed, then all we may factor in is we're going to learn a little something we didn't know before. There's going to be another piece of information that we file away in our minds. There's going to be another fact that we stack up about Jesus. We're going to take something else in about the word that we didn't know before, something that we can pull out at a party and tell someone. And it never gets down to the heart. See, sometimes we treat the gospel of the kingdom of God in the abstract, in the world of the theoretical. It's just something to file away in our minds. But Jesus is explicit in saying that the gospel of the kingdom of God, it's not abstract, it's concrete. It's not theoretical, it's practical. That the gospel of the kingdom of God is not about information, it's about transformation. And the reason we know that is because Jesus doesn't merely display the plan of God in the gospel. And he doesn't merely declare the power of God in the gospel. Jesus draws the people of God in the gospel by declaring to them, repent and believe in the gospel. 
Jesus says to you and to me, to those disciples that heard him first, and to the disciples who will hear him until he comes again, that there is always and ever a right response to the proclamation of the gospel. And it is to repent and believe. Sometimes we would merely like to repent. That is, we like to recognize, you know what, I've sort of made a mess of things. My life isn't as good as it should be. I'm not enjoying the, the favor of God in my life. I'm not as prosperous as I'd want to be. I, I know I've taken a wrong turn. And so we, we sort of do corrective course in our life. We turn around. But as we turn, we try to develop our own plan for how to go forward. Sometimes we just would like to believe. That is to say that, that we understand the claims of Christ. We know the basic tenets of the gospel, that Jesus Christ, the sinless Son of God, came to this earth, lived a perfect life, died a substitute death, was laid in a bar tomb, raised on the third day, coming again in power and glory, and that he offers life by faith in his name. And we'd like to simply check off the box. We'd like to give our mental assent to that. We'd like to say, I'm on board with that. I believe that. I'll trust that but it never gets down into our life. And it doesn't change the way we live. And so what Jesus says is, you can't repent without believing, and you can't believe without repenting. These concepts go hand in hand. They are locked together that the right response of the people of God to the gospel of God is to turn, that is repent, to turn away from their sin and trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And some of you are here today, and you can reach back in your files a year, two years, 20 years, 30, 40 years. You can reach back in the recesses of your mind, and you can know there was a day and a time when you turned away from your sin and you trusted Jesus. And if that's you this morning, here's what I want to ask you. Are you still turning away from your sin, and are you still trusting in Jesus? My friend, there are many people, many people, who once upon a time turned and trusted, but they are not trusting in him now. To have trusted in him once, but not to trust in him now, is to not truly have trusted him at all. And if you're here this morning, if you know that this is your heart, if you know this is your son, your daughter, your grandchild, your friend, your neighbor, if you know this is the story of someone you love who once upon a time turned and trusted, but they are not trusting in Jesus now, they are not turning from their sin now, then I implore you on behalf of Christ, turn to Christ in real faith and follow him in obedience. And if you're here this morning and you would say, I have never done that. And the gospel has never been anything other than a fact. Something I'm willing to give my assent to. But it's never gotten down into who I am. Then hear me this day. The gospel put on display. And the gospel declared. Is a gospel that should draw you in repentance and belief. And on this day, you ought to turn away from your sin and put your trust in Jesus Christ because he is able to save. Father, 
As we consider your word, we recognize, God, that it's your desire, not that we would be far from you, but that we would be drawn close to you. Not that we would simply hear, but that we would obey this word. And so, God, for those who are here who can affirmatively say, I have turned and trusted Jesus, I am believing in his gospel, let there be a time of affirmation and rejoicing. Because they are yours and you are theirs. But God, if there's someone here today who says, I have not turned and trusted, then may this gospel proclaimed by Jesus himself of your authority over the world, lived out through your plan to save through your son, bring conviction to their heart. And may they on this day turn away from their sin and put their trust in Jesus. For he is able to save. We pray it in his name and for his sake. Amen.